0: Revelation chapter 7, I'm going to read the first eight verses. And after these things, now, after these things, verse 17 of the previous chapter says, For the great day of his wrath is come. And here's the question that chapter 7 answers Who shall be able to stand? And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners <clears throat> of the earth. "...holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth." Neither the sea nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them that were sealed. There were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Natalim were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed, 12,000. And of the tribe of Benjamin... All right, so you hear it 11 times and you get it. Don't brag about that. All right, glad you're listening. We're tuned in here. We have this interesting picture in the seventh chapter. Look. When we study through chapter 6 and we see the Antichrist deceiving, we see war, we see famine, we see death with Hades following, we see a fourth of the world's population gone. We see earthquakes to a degree unimaginable fear filling the whole earth. and uh, Finally those crying out to the rocks to fall on them. And you look at that And you think, man, who wants to go back next week? You know, I mean, this is kind of depressing. This is like, you know, sobering or vinegary or something. This is, you know, it doesn't taste good. What is this? And it's almost as though the Lord puts on the brakes, but between the sixth and seventh seals. And he gives us this parentheses. This is a parenthetic chapter where he kind of takes a break and then shows us some of the things that are happening behind the scenes in this period of time. It's hard to be dogmatic. We believe that this chapter both looks forward to the end of the tribulation period and looks backward to the beginning of it. It's hard to be dogmatic about where the time actually falls if it's if it's narrowed in that much. Um... The question was, who shall be able to stand? And it's almost like the Lord would say, because he's written to the church, chapters 2 and 3. Then he has us in heaven in in chapters 4 and 5. And now he says, look, all of the heaviness of chapter 6, all of the difficulty, I haven't changed. I haven't changed. My heart is still broken for the lost. I still am maintaining a covenant with my ancient people, Israel. My heart is broken over the rebellion of mankind. And I'm doing everything I can possibly do to turn the hearts of rebellious men and women to myself. Who is able to stand? Well, 144,000. ...of the tribes of Israel will stand. Two prophets, Moses and Elijah, outside of Jerusalem will stand. And an innumerable company, verses 9 to 17, that no man could count... ...who were martyred and came out of great tribulation, who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb... What it tells us, they were not willing to bend. They stood. It cost them their lives. They were martyred. Look, this is chapter 7, the greatest revival in the history of mankind. I'm hoping for revival now. I would love to see revival before the rapture. I would love to see in the days we're living in. You know, the, the news of Christ break forth like it did in the 60s and 70s, like the Jesus moon. I would love to see that to a larger degree, because you look at how lost people are. I just I talked to one of our officers last week, and I said, how are things? And he said, suicide. Suicide. There's suicide everywhere. People with the lockdowns, people are depressed. They can't handle the news every day. He said, we're just dealing with suicides. People are hopeless. But here we are. We have the message. The church is essential, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is essential to every age. And it is more essential now than any age because of how dark things are growing and how hopeless people are becoming. <clears throat> it's necessary. It's a lifeline. And, and the Lord gives us that picture multitudes, a multitudes a multitudes saved during the tribulation period. So that will be the greatest revival in human history. Uh, we have this picture here, and this chapter is divided into two groups. Ver- verse 1 in chapter 7 says, after these things, metatauta. Verse 9, which takes us to the next group, begins after this, metatauta, after these things, after these things. He 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 is given the vision of six of the seals opening, unthinkable where it's going. And before the seventh seal opens with the trumpets and with the vials, there's this station break. And he's able to look at an answer. It's not hopeless. Who is able to stand? It isn't hopeless. God has not forgotten his covenant with his, his ancient people. He's not forgotten to get the gospel to a lost world. And he wants us to see that and understand that. It says here in verse 1, it says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So the vision begins of these four Angels. It says they're standing on the four corners of the earth. Now, we could say the four quadrants of the earth or the four points of the compass. It would kind of take in the idea of what's being said. Of course, in the last 50 years with satellites, scientists now tell us that the earth is not a sphere. It's not perfectly round. It's elliptical. It's more flat at the north and south pole. It's a little broader around the equator maybe because that's where the rotation pushes harder. And that there are four mountain ranges. There are actually four corners on the earth that control winds the way things blow. So maybe John just knew way more than we did till we got satellites. But these four angels are standing on the four corners of the earth, it says, and they're holding back the winds that word in the in the greek holding back it means they're, they're they're struggling they have a tight hold on it there's an effort they're holding back these winds now it's an interesting picture are they the winds of judgment certainly judgment is coming and and angels can restrain judgment or bring judgment We know from 1 Chronicles chapter 21, uh, verses 14 to 16 there, when there was a plague that came on Jerusalem because of David numbering the people of Israel, the armies, and a plague comes, and I think it was 70,000 died, whatever the number is, David sees an angel standing over Jerusalem swinging a sword, and people are dying of the plague. And God tells the angel to put his sword back in the sheaf, and the angel puts his sword away, and the plague stops. You know, sometimes I wonder, I look at the pandemic, and I look what's happening around us, how terrible it is, but I wonder how many hearts are being turned to Christ that wouldn't have been turned to Christ. How many Christians that have been lukewarm and compromised are coming back to Jesus and reading their Bibles again? You know, we lose 50,000 in America every year to drunk drivers. We never complain about that. Again, last year, globally, 45 million abortions. 45 million. We don't have masks for that. We don't have vaccines for that. Uh, we don't have lockdowns for that. That's okay, because we're doing it. But when something comes our way from an outside influence, and we can blame God for this pandemic, of course, then it's different. I wonder, is there an angel? Is there something supernatural going on behind the scenes? To some degree, I'm sure there is. And God is using angels here. Certainly, they're holding back the winds of judgment. Even if they're holding back literal winds, those literal winds are being used in the context of judgment. Understand, there's this hydrologic system of winds that go around the earth and only because of those winds can we sustain life on earth it's a combination of the sun the heat from the sun the water from the sea the wind blowing uh, and the rotation of the earth and it produces a system that sustains life I happen to read this <clears throat> and, and you'll have to suffer with it because I found it It says, you know, if an inch of rain falls on one square mile, look, to the Jews, that was a big deal. God says, you know, the land I'm I'm sending you to is not like the land of Egypt that's watered with the wheel of the Nile River. But the land I'm sending you to is dependent on the rain from heaven. And if you worship and you keep my statutes, I'll open the heavens. If you don't, I will turn the ground to brass. For one inch of rain. Now, you guys know that uh, in the last year or two, we've seen twelve inches of rain in a hurricane. We've seen eight inches. We've seen flooding. And, and you're talking about a hundred square miles. This is this is one square mile and one inch of rain, which is great for farmers. Okay, but for that to take place, one inch of rain on one square mile of farmland. Uh, And Bill Gates should take note of this, being he's the biggest owner of farmland in the United States now. He needs to be thinking about God. For that one inch to fall during the night, that is 27,878,400 cubic feet of water. Now, on the planet Earth, every day, 1.5 trillion tons of rain fall every day. There's 330 cubicle million miles, 330 cubicle million miles of ocean on the planet. But for one inch of rain on one square mile, you have 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons of water. And those 206 million gallons of water, the weight of them is 1,650,501,280 pounds. I'll say that one more for those of you that are memorizing. The weight of that rain coming down one inch on one square mile of farmland is 1,650,000,000 501,280 pounds of water. Now, what goes up must come down. So how do we get it up there? This is this hydraulic system. It has to evaporate from the ocean, and yeah, the ocean is salt water, so that would kill the crops. So there's a desalinization process for this water to evaporate and go up, four or five miles into the atmosphere. It separates, for that evaporation process to take place, it separates into particles of water that are .00001 to .0001. That's really small, in case you're wondering. These little particles of water and then the wind carries it over the land. Now you can't just dump a billion pounds of water on the land. It'll ruin the farmhouses, it'll ruin the crops, it'll kill any human. So that, then that water that's separated in all those little droplets has to begin to coalesce and, and co- they, they it starts to come together. So all these little, those minuscule particles start to bump together and they start to be drawn together and coalesce into raindrops. Now before they fall, The raindrop has to be big enough so it doesn't evaporate on the way down and some water gets to the ground. But the raindrops have to be small enough that they don't crush everything when they get to the ground. So then there's a whole process of coalescence. And they're not sure how that takes place. They know it's through electrostatic charges. That's why you see lightning in storms and so forth. Meteorologists are still not sure exactly how that works. But as there's a coalescence, it pulls that billion pounds of water together, 1,650,000,000 pounds, pulls it together into droplets and they start to fall. And the droplets evaporate so they're the right size by the time they get to the ground. And in one night, one square mile, one inch of rain falls. Over a 1,650,000,000 pounds of water was carried from the ocean up into the sky, in evaporation, coalesced into droplets and came back down again. <laughs> Think about that the next time you're in the rain. You won't complain. Ah, you know. Now look, these angels. How involved in all that are they? Because if they if they hold back the winds, that h- whole hydrological Engine stops. You know, sailors would talk about the doldrums when they were dependent on sails. Uh, those are push, used to push old ships, sails, and <laughs> agriculture, sustaining life. Everything is dependent upon that system of winds and evaporation, and so forth. So if these four angels, and they're struggling here, they're holding back, what does that produce? You know, we have in chapter 6 famine after war. Are they contributing to that famine? We have in chapter 8, around verse 6, talking about a third of the trees and the grass burning up. Is, Is that angels behind the scenes? You have in chapter 11, verses 3 to 6, the two prophets outside of Jerusalem. And it says, anybody who makes war against them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours them. And thus, anyone who attacks them must die in this way. And they have power to shut up the heavens, to turn water to blood, and to bring whatever plagues they want on the earth. Moses and Elijah there. So here we're stepping back behind the scenes... Is this working in conjunction with those other things? I would think so, to some degree. So God now gives us this picture of these angels in this situation. And then it tells us in verse 2, I saw another angel. Some people try to say it's Jesus. Another there is Alon, another angel of the same kind. I saw another angel. Now he's ascending. He's coming up from the east. Notice this. Having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given. They had permission to hurt the earth and the sea. And what this fifth angel says... Is hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until, there's a plan, we have sealed the servants of God. Now, we don't know who the we is. Has he got buddies with him, this angel coming out of the east? Or does he mean we, you four wind angels and me, until we have sealed the servants of our God, the angel speaking, of our God in their foreheads. So, this interesting picture. He's arising. The other angels are struggling back to hold back the wind, and he says, don't let go, don't let that happen, until we seal the servants of God in their foreheads. It tells us this in chapter 14. We're not sure what the seal is, but it does say this. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, on the earth, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. This is at the end. We see them at the beginning and the end of the tribulation period. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of great thunder. I heard a voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000." So, very interesting picture. They have written in their foreheads the name of God. Is it Jehovah? Is it Yahweh? Is it, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's in their foreheads. Is that the seal? It may be. We don't know. A remarkable thing there is I, I imagine 144,000 guys singing the same song. You know, I, I love to sneak in here at the, when the Kathy has the women's conference, and there's 1,600 ladies in here all singing the same song without any male voices messing everything up. And it's beautiful. It sounds like heaven. Or when we go to Sandy Cove and there's 1,200 guys all singing the same song. And there's no female voices messing that up. Imagine 144,000. And I'm sure they're all got, you only mark the ones with good voices. 144,000 all singing the same song. What is that going to sound like? Now, it's nothing compared to the innumerable company of men and angels that sing in heaven. But this remarkable scene, these are sealed. calls them the servants of God. We will be able to partake in this to some degree, because it tells us in chapter 22 when we're in the new heavens and in the new earth... It says there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it his servants shall serve him they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads so we're all going to enjoy that okay right now understand this you and I are sealed as well it says unto the day of redemption that's the rapture tells us this in first Corinthians, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry. Um, it says, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us, that's the same word, and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Interesting, the arabona, the earnest. If you go to Greece today, that's the word for an engagement ring, arabona. But he sealed us, Until the day of redemption. It tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So you and I are sealed. We're as kids. He sealed us. Some of us are sealed and spanked. You know, But but the seal is upon us. We belong to him. He's marked us. And it's a mark of preservation. It's a mark of ownership. It was often used for the signet ring and it would guarantee something that was being transported and its safety and guarantee it arriving at its destination. You and I are sealed. It's the same word that's used in, in Revelation 20 when it says Satan is cast into the abyss by an angel chained and cast in and that he's sealed there Satan is sealed for a thousand years that seal is the same word that says you and I were sealed same God same power Satan does not have any ability to get to the sons and daughters of God that are sealed any more than he has strength to get out of that pit that's sealed and it's the same word now Like Balaam and Balak, you know, the enemy can kind of convince us to come out from God's covering and we can, you know, end up in trouble. But we're in a covenant and we're sealed into the day of redemption. Preservation. God has done this throughout history. Look, you look at Egypt, you know, when the children of Israel were there in Goshen, the sun was out. Egypt was dark. In Goshen, the plagues didn't come. They came on Egypt. In Goshen, on the Passover night, anybody who had the blood of the lamb on their door was preserved. They were marked. The rest of Egypt suffered. So we, we see that. In Ezekiel chapter 9, it tells us, when God's ready to judge Jerusalem, Ezekiel's in Babylon watching this. And it says, Ezekiel says, I saw a man with a quill and an inkhorn. Just... And God said to him, some type of divine scribe, before I bring judgment on Jerusalem, you go into Jerusalem. And everyone in Jerusalem who's brokenhearted and who weeps over the sin of Jerusalem, I want you to mark their forehead. And when judgment comes, they won't be destroyed. And I think, you know, God today, as he looked down at his sons and daughters, are we brokenhearted about the culture that we live in? Or we try to be cool to smooth and get to be part of it? Are we weeping over our lost friends and relatives and what we see going on around us? It says there, that angel marked the foreheads. Now, we're marked simply because we're washed in the blood of Christ. We don't earn it. But he says in that scene, it's preservation. It's God's sovereignty. You know, those who are brokenhearted over the sin of Jerusalem were spared. They were marked so they didn't have to come under that here the seal the the servants are sealed and then what happens interesting in chapter 13 of revelation satan counterfeits now he never bothers to counterfeit unless there's the reality he counterfeits all of this by causing people small and great you know to receive a mark in their foreheads or on their right hands his minions end up Different word marked from sealed, but still, you see the the reproduction of that and the imitation of it. Those that are sealed in our scene here are 144,000 Jews. Are you with me? This is not Garner, Ted Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God, who said that the tribes were lost and that the Worldwide Church of God was the 12 tribes, you know, and then he said, well, they found some of the tribes because the, da- the Danish, ish means man, the British, the Swedish, the Finnish, Chuck Smith used to say, and the foolish, <laughs> you know. Well, Dan's not in our list here, first of all, so you don't need to worry about the Danish, you know. But but that, that that's not the deal. These, these are saying 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes. And then, just in case we're not sure, we did this together, 12,000 of this tribe. Names a tribe, 12,000 from this, 12,000 from this, 12,000 of this tribe, 12,000. I get the sense that he's talking about 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that he names. These are not J-dubs. Coming up to your door, the English racer, knocking on the And the J-Dub's a bad organization to join because they say there's only 144,000 going to get in the kingdom. They've already passed that. There's no room for y'all. So just stay here. You get in by grace instead of knocking on doors. These are 144,000 Jews marked. It's interesting. When you go through the scripture... There are 29 lists of the 12 tribes from Genesis to Revelation. 29 lists. There's 19 different variations in those 29 lists of the tribes. And the one in chapter 7 is distinct from all of it. It's different from all of them. We don't have the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Ephraim mentioned here. And there's all kinds of conjecture why. These are the servants of the Most High God, maybe because Dan was the first tribe to lead Israel into idolatry. And there was a golden calf set up in Dan and Bethel, which was Ephraim. So Joseph is mentioned. His other Normally, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, are mentioned because Levi doesn't get an inheritance in the land, but the Levitical city spread through the land. Here, Levi is named as one of those that are marked, and 12,000 of his tribe Ephraim is not mentioned, but Joseph is, and Manasseh is. So it's just an interesting picture. It's just God has no problem. Look, well, how does he know if the tribes, you know, how does he know who's who? Look, if 23andMe can find out for you, you know, or Ancestry.com can find out, God's not dumber than those people. He knows where all the Jews are. He knows where they are. He's going to mark them. I can going to have a problem. He's not going to be saying, oh, Revelation chapter 7, what do I do now? They're lost. I don't know where they're at. That's not going to happen, okay? It's not going to happen. These are 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes that are mentioned. Now, by the way, the first time the 12 tribes are mentioned is in Genesis 35, when it's talking about the, the sons of Jacob. They're mentioned in a certain order. The last time they're mentioned in the Old Testament is Ezekiel 48, and it's the exact same order as the first time. And in that description, Dan gets his portion of the land. So God is a covenant keeper. He's a covenant keeper. It makes sense that he would let Levi function here as part of the 144,000 because Levi was a servant to him. Levi, so no doubt the tribe is enjoying getting to participate in this. But they are indestructible. Nothing the Antichrist or Satan can do if he tries to assault them with soldiers. Fire comes out of their mouth, destroys them. Any of the judgments of God to come when the winds are let loose again, 144,000 are impervious to that. This is 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, 144,000 George Whitfields. This is 144,000 Paul the Apostles, 144,000 Peter the Apostles, 144,000 John the Baptists. Imagine. You have the two witnesses outside of Jerusalem, I believe Moses and Elijah, said the eyes of the whole world are on them. Then you have all of these men traveling, preaching, preaching. And remember, when we get raptured, our Bibles don't get raptured, our tracts don't get raptured. So all around the world, in every language, and every people, there are copies of the Scripture, there are New Testaments, there are portions of Gospels, there are audio things. You know, people are scrambling for these. So you have this great divide. You're going to have relatives and friends, again, who you witnessed to, who thought you are crazy. All of a sudden, you're going to disappear, and they're going to realize they were crazy for not listening. They know where the Bibles are. They know where the bookstore is. And just and, and you're going to have 144,000 of these evangelists that are unimaginable, preaching the gospel, impervious to all of the things that are going on. Just their ability to live and breathe is a testimony. And then the two prophets outside of Jerusalem. And what comes out of that is the greatest revival in the history of, of humanity. We'll we'll look at that next week if the Lord tarries. If not, you can watch from the mezzanine. (laughs) Remarkable picture. Why 144,000? Look, um, interesting. One of the scientists I read said, well, you know, these 144,000 survive the tribulation and they go into the millennium. So each of them will be given the lot of their tribe as they go into the millennium. The 12 apostles will sit on thrones with the Lord, ruling no doubt those 12 different regions in the land. Um, And if you have 12,000 marked Jewish men ministering with you in your district, you can have one a month for a thousand years just a suggestion I have no idea uh, however it works out will be fine with me look here's here's the deal Satan and the Antichrist are going to learn that not every knee is going to bow not everyone's going to call him Lord not everybody's going to receive the mark there's 144,000 that he can't touch no matter how hard he tries to hurt there's two prophets outside of Jerusalem that are impervious until 1,260 days till the first half of the tribulation is over. Then there is a multitude of people that refused to bow to him because of this testimony that's global. Uh, I appreciate, it, again, the fact that says in, in Revelation chapter 20, they were beheaded. Revelation 13 says they die with the sword. Decapitation is a fast way to go. I can at least encourage you about that. If you're listening, if you're listening and you refuse to accept Christ before the rapture, eh, it's better than getting eaten by a shark. you know the head goes off, you roll down the hill for a second. I don't know what you know They're beheaded, it says. That ain't bad, that's fast and glory's right on the other side of it. Glory is right on the other side of it. and there's a multitude. But every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And he's coming. He's coming with power and great glory. Look, read ahead. You know, some things now, so what do you do with that? You're marked. That's what the scripture says. Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30, 2 Corinthians 1.22. It clearly tells us we're marked. There is something that happens in your heart between you and the future. Look, there is a prophetic tension in the air that's never been there before us. We watch the pandemic. We watch what's going on in in the world. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, first of all, he won't speak of himself. He'll take the things Jesus said that belong to me and he'll show them to you. And he will show you things to come. How is it a brand new believer doesn't even know you know, what an epistle or an apostle is, they get saved and they have this sense, wow, the end of the world is Jesus is coming, you know, just, you, you have, there's an innate sense that we have, here you are, you're sealed with the spirit of promise until that day, the spirit of promise. Who will be able to stand, that word is a passive erudist? who will be able to have, been stood, to be established, to be put in place. Certainly we will until the rapture, because we, we're sealed likewise. Is there compromise in your life that needs to stop? Is the culture we're living in and the COVID pandemic and the threat of war and and the the, the, the direction of our American culture and morals, is it speaking to you? It should be. This is not our home. We're passing through. It should make us more bold. We understand what's going on around us because we are sealed with the spirit of promise until the day of redemption. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You're marked. (laughs) We won't be able to read it, evidently, until Revelation 22, but you're sealed. And you ain't going to get there. You ain't going to go up in the rapture because you can flutter your arms. You ain't going up in the rapture because you earn points you have on your refrigerator. The only reason you're going to defy gravity and change from corruption to incorruption, mortal to immortal, and a twinkle of an eye, is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel to redeem. That's the whole second half of the chapter. There ain't nothing in you that's anti-gravity. As we get older, the opposite is true. Okay. <laughs> we'll glorify the Lord more when he can carry this load in the twinkling <laughs> of an eye, right? So we have this hope. The world around us is hopeless right now. Gathering together, not to neglect that, as is the manner of some, especially as we see the day drawing near. Stir one and up to up faith in good works. Be setting our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. We have to be contagious, not the culture. We have to be contagious. You can't give anybody the measles unless you got it. You can't be contagious with the good news of Jesus Christ unless it's good news to you, right? And there ain't no vaccine for that. They can't protect themselves... I don't know if the other one's going to work. But they can't protect themselves from the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ being shed abroad in our hearts, and the hope that it offers to them. Right? Right now, you're the light of the world. You don't hear light. You see it. You're the salt of the earth. You don't hear salt. You taste it. I believe it was... uh, St. Francis, it was either St. Francis or Augustine, it said, "Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words." Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. You guys, with me? You're going to read ahead. I want to see the percentages go up. Or gonna, you know, you're sealed with the Spirit. You might as well read ahead. You know, the angels have been holding the snow back for this service. And uh, let's stand. Let's pray together. And if you don't know Christ, we'd love to pray with you. The last couple of weeks, some people have come forward and gotten saved. You know, after the pastors will be up here, we'll happy to give you a copy of the scripture, some literature. We don't want your cell number or your email, or no, we don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And if you realize I don't know Christ, I don't know what I'm doing in the days ahead. If this is all true, I need to make some arrangements here. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. Father, we put these things before you. And Lord, it's just fascinating in one respect for us to look into this, but we know it's not fascination that you're reaching to. It's conviction. Lord, it is an urgency that you want to see in us in the days that we live in. Lord, we ask for fresh wind, fresh fire, as it were. And we trust you to do that, Lord. We're we're not dependent on any other resource in the universe, in existence, except that which flows from the throne of grace. Lord, we look to you and we pray in your name. Amen.